Thompson, let's give him a hand. Hi, how you guys doing? Good. All right, can I just get into it? Okay. Cool. F A T K I D. I'm a fat kid. Too heavy for my height. The inflection and my voice never seemed to sync properly with my outer exterior. A fat kid. But I didn't know I was fat until about 7th grade. See, that's when the puberty and fat jokes rolled in in unison, and I couldn't handle it. Travis, you don't need any more food. Talk to me when your balls drop. That in ninth grade, I was constantly buying new shoes. See, I was sort of a businessman. I would buy a pair of shoes, wear it, then sell it for profit, then repeat. I think I did this. So my upper body attracted no attention. Like, look at my shoes, they're new. Don't look up. Don't look up. Please, you won't like what you see. I won't like what I see. Mirrors my kryptonite. Every window I walk past reminded me of my potato shape. Even swimming pools always seem to show your reflection. Ironic. See, when you're a fat kid, the world feels that to get you. You pretend not to be hungry. You stay quiet in crowded rooms to avoid a fat joke. And when I was younger, I had this really weird habit. See, after I would say a sentence, I would, I would mouth it to myself. I think I was replaying every word in my head to make sure that no human being could spin it around to remind me of the number that I saw on the scale. Because if you look hard enough, you can read my life story in the folds of my body. See, when you're a fat kid, girls become numbers. They become another reason to look in the mirror, because no matter how fat you are, there's always room in the friend zone. And if you have enough fabricated confidence to actually talk to girls, it's not a pretty sight either. Girls call you adorable, but you know, not the good adorable. And they pinch your cheeks. Stop pinching our cheeks. We hate it. See, when you're a fat kid. And I like to skateboard. People used to say to me, Travis, I think that board is a weight limit. And you know that comment? Used to dig at my self-consciousness, but I no longer think they're wrong. There's always a weight limit. There's a weight limit to love yourself. There's a weight limit to your self-esteem. There's a weight limit to feel wanted. And sometimes I don't feel worthy of using the ground to carry me forward. There's a weight limit to find yourself attractive. And sometimes I feel 50 pounds over ugly. See, when you're a fat kid. You're embarrassed by the sight of yourself in the shower, even though you're the only person who can see it. And it must be some sort of magic. How you can try so hard to gain approval from everyone you meet, and the way you look becomes the most memorable thing about you. Actions speak louder than words. No, no, no. Appearances speak louder than words. I sometimes dream of every picture I'm in the background of going up in flames, and I hate my friend's attempts at being comforting. You're just big-boned. 
is not comforting. You're just chubby is not comforting. There's more of you to love is not comforting because when there's more of you to love, there's also more of you to utterly hate about yourself. But see, I'm just now learning to love myself. I'm just now beginning to forgive every hair on my face that's yet to grow. It's okay. Take your time. I'm beautiful. Every pound that I carry with me represents another reason that I have to be here. I am beautiful. This is for the fat jokes everywhere or anyone who's ever been made fun of for the way they look because we are beautiful. There was like a bunch of lines to that poem I forgot. I'm so sick. I apologize. Bear with me, though. Um, like he said, I am Travis Thompson. I'm from Seattle. I'm 17 years old, even though I look like 12. Um, uh, thanks for having me. This is really cool. I appreciated it. I appreciate it. I don't know. I'm bad at banter, so I'll just do the next poem, I guess. Oh, okay. So this poem, I'll introduce this one. It's, uh, well, you ever wanted to go back a few years or however long and just want to tell yourself something? Kind of court, let it play out and a lot better than it actually did. This is a letter to my 13 year old self. Dear 13 year old Travis, seventh grade sucks, right? Yep, they were right when they told you not to look forward to middle school because for the most part, 13 to 14 year old children are scary scary people there's hair in new places not for you which is scary in the idea of actually having hair in new places but i mean hey girls have boobs now but then again so do you but i swear someone someday will think you're beautiful and it won't be just your mom the hallways are bigger now so is your list of insecurities but don't worry no one will take your lunch money because i'm pretty sure if that hasn't happened to anyone your age in years travis stand tall you're hardly five feet but stand tall. You don't have to lower your voice to a respectively deep level when the teacher calls your name for a roll call. See, be yourself. You're a long way from being pushed down. And even though you have to push down those boners in gym class, don't ever apologize for being excited. And if you like something, then like it. And yup, math is really hard now. The alphabet fused together with numbers to sucker punch your GPA. But, I mean, hey, girls have poos now. <laughs> Travis, stop apologizing for existing. Tattoo the earth with your existence. Stop giving handshakes like you're giving back a stolen item from Albertsons. You mean something. Travis, people give a shit about you. You don't live in a movie, so stop feeling sorry for yourself. The earth does not stop rotating because girls like to pinch your cheeks. And I know you're scared, but tomorrow you will wake up. And the next day you will wake up. Trust me. I know from experience, but one day you won't wake up. One day it'll all be over. And do you want to... Look back on boring memories of smoking weed in your friend's bedroom? Or do you want to grab life by the boobs and jiggle the world like, Hey, I was here, because there's a road for snores and bores and sad sacks and cat sacks and forceful dad halfbacks, but take a left turn. Fuck the after-school special GPS and pedal to the floor. Salsa dance with sexy second-period senoritas. Live to watch the Mariners take the World Series. To drink Kool-Aid out of fountains. To eat chicken pot tie on Mars with Charlie Sheen. To do a stand-up comedy tour in nursing homes. To walk on coals in antarctica do you want to be an average joe no you don't i know that so stop approaching the lunch table every day like a question see your presence is not a burden stop hiding under your knockoff north face jacket because one day you wear a graduation cap with the humongous tassel and every string represent a time when you didn't feel good enough and you will flip it hang it from your car mirror so when you're going from point a to point b you'll remember that maybe the road you're traveling isn't so lonely and remember your heart is on the stage and fuck them if they call you gay when they ask you what you want to be when you grow up you say 
myself. I know it sounds a little douchey, but hey, one day some girls would dig you for being fat because it makes them look deep and curious is a career. There is a six-figure salary and not caring what anyone thinks about you, and you're paid in Trident layers and Chuck E. Cheese tokens and maybe even dollar bills. I know it might not make sense right now. See, it may never will, but Travis, you matter. I promise you that you matter. I, I will drink that water. Thank you. For sure. I'm like, my head is rattling because I'm so sick. It's like, I can't even. Whoever's on the mic after me, stay away from it because I probably spit on it or something. <laughs> Don't want to get sick. All right. So who here has ever been to a school dance? I feel it. I feel it. All right. So you all look a lot older than me. So it might be a little different for you, but my experience is very very weird and this is my very first experience with school dance. This poem's called Dancing. The first time that I ever danced with a girl was awful. So I look out into the sea of lost kids, terrible music, inappropriate friction, my friends pull me onto the dance floor, my heart beating out of my chest. I walked up to a girl, stood behind her, no idea what to do, thinking, oh my god, what do I do with my hands? Do I touch her butt? Is that inappropriate? Do I swing my hips? Do I stress them? Is she single? Are we dating now? What does this mean for us? Is Back That Ass Up by Juvenile like our song now? I just wanted to hang out with my English teacher. Is the Macarena even on this DJ's playlist? Oh my god, I hate dancing. Nobody prepared me for this. I mean, sure, church prepared me for boring high school lectures, but nobody can prepare you for growing up. 15 things they don't tell you about growing up. One, remembering little things about girls is not sweet. It's creepy. Two, this isn't like the movies, though. We're all acting. Three, as a guy, you have to do guy things when hanging out with other guys, like play basketball or have boxing matches, even when you do not want to. Four, growing up is hella expensive. Five, you have to remember a lot of seven-digit numbers. Six, math gets hard. Six, math gets so hard you can't remember the basics. Six, the bus of life doesn't steam and lower its steps into adulthood. See, so you're pulled on, then thrown in the back. Seven, having a job is not at all what it's cracked up to be. Eight, everything you do slowly becomes less impressive. And nine, you develop a strange sense of neediness, a fear of nobody caring whether or not you stay or leave a room. Nine and a half, people walk out of your life with a glass full of memories sitting on your countertop, leaving you wondering if they will come back and finish them, and they won't. Ten, nobody will call you beautiful until a time in your life when you won't believe it. You will spend nights screaming into your pillow that it's not fair, that it's not fair. You will hear wedding bells as she fills with her car keys. She will touch you with the same hands that your mother used to pour cough syrup into bent spoons. Eleven, your friends will one day forget what your voice sounds like. You will feel like the backdrop of normality. Nobody will desire your presence at times of the day when the last person you want to be with is yourself. Twelve, your first kiss will last way too long or not long enough. It's going to be awful. The first time is never perfect, but you will crave it over and over when the present chews you up, spits you out, and has the nerve to call you distasteful. Thirteen, your favorite show will be canceled. R.I.P. The office 14 monsters are more real than fake in 15 growing up sucks but i've learned that you can't just dance your way through it thank you all right i'm gonna do another phone poem so this is about my first time as a kid going to the ymca to go swimming 
I, some of your faces can already tell what's going to happen. <laughs> it's uh, You should um, warn your kids about that if you haven't already because it's a traumatic experience. So let's get into it. In the second grade, I went swimming at the YMCA for the first time. My family and I all got memberships. We drove our blue minivan there, and with our towels around our necks, we walked in. Mom and sister headed to their own locker rooms, and my father and I headed to ours. I tried to open the door, but it was too heavy, so my father pulls it back, and we walk in. The walls were all tiled in white, and there were red lockers as far as the eye could see. As soon as we pass our first row of lockers, I see a man's ass, which is traumatizing yet weirdly familiar. But then he turns around to say hi. And it appears. My second grade mind explodes. Oh my god, that is the biggest dick I've ever seen in my entire life. It was like the tenth of my size. It hung and it swung and it slapped its thighs. I couldn't adjust my eyes. Why the hell is it so hairy? Do not smile at me. Your penis is out for the world to see. Put it away, man. <laughs> he puts on his pants and walks out, unknowing that he just mucked up the works of my eight-year-old soul. And eventually we changed. Being sensitive, everyone around me, I held, had my father hold up my Spider-Man towel, covering my naked body, you know, like a good person. <laughs> there I was in my bathing suit, goggles around my neck, and I headed towards the showers, thinking the worst was far behind. But no. Let me tell you, you need to prepare your children for showers and swimming pools. It is a life-changing event. I come around the corner, and we make it to the showers. And not only were their old dudes letting it all hang out, which is already gross enough, they had all their sons in on it, too. There was not enough soap in that entire shower to cleanse my eyes from this sight. Big wieners and little wieners on my left and my right. I rinsed myself and ran out of the, there as fast as possible. I get out and immediately jump in the pool. Then I swam in the pool with my family. See, it was normal. It was familiar. It made sense. And then, I was in the deep end, and I'm pulling myself out to show off my front flip skills to the girls nearby when the strings on my shorts betray me. But I was already fully in motion getting out of the pool, jumping off from the poolside ladder, and I feel my shorts slippering on my ankles, and I stand on the edge of the pool, dripping and naked. I got out too fast and created this wake that slowly sent my shorts farther and farther away. I stood there and it didn't dawn on me until later that jumping back in might have solved this entire episode. But anyway, the girl nearby was closest so I thought I would ask them for assistance. I shouted, little help, while covering my junk with one hand. They all laughed and proceeded to dive underwater and leave me hanging. Literally. <laughs> See, I can't really blame them. Nobody wants to hand the shorts back to a naked eight-year-old. I decided I would do something courageous, brave, and frankly, the most baller thing ever. I would walk back to the locker room totally chill. And so I did. And let me tell you, this Navajo boy took the long walk back, and by then the whole pool had their eyes locked on me, and I just swaggered there. Immediately greeted by showers, but this time I blended in and kept my eyes down. Then I walked to the stall, and I waited. Three years ago. I sat in my 8th grade English class. My teacher says, Travis, you're up. So I walked to the front with my thang out, performed my very first poem with my thang out, and they snapped along and made so much noise when I was done it changed my life forever. Okay, my thang wasn't actually out, but it might as well have been. Because I shared with them a piece of me that I cover up daily. I told them how I feel like everybody's least and favorite ingredient at Subway, the diet soda for everybody's sweet tooth, how I never feel good enough. And they appreciated my thang. They called my thing beautiful. My thing touched a lot of people. See, I was told that everything good comes from honesty. So I will not shy away from showing everybody my thing. What do I have to lose? See, I will gladly risk it all. I am offering my thing to you guys like a childhood, like a child with a wounded bird in a shoebox. I am offering a door that nobody has knocked on in years. I am offering myself. Please enjoy.
I'm I look very white. It sorry, it 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 it'll make sense in the next poem. I look very white, but um my father is actually 100% Navajo Indian. And uh this is kind of caused like a cause like an identity crisis like uh because I um reek the benefits of white privilege because I am white, but it's also I don't know, it's weird being mixed race. If um any of you are mixed race, you can probably agree. Um so this poem is just I haven't really titled it yet. It's just titled my mixed race poem, I guess for now. It's just about um being Navajo and white and what it feels like. Uh Wow, I can't find it. Oh my god. Okay. So I'll do this I'll do this other poem. It's a poem about being not being masculine at a time when you should be masculine. Uh it's uh called Little Bitch Army cuz I grew up my whole life being called the the phrase little bitch. So Sorry if the, like, the word bitch triggers you. I'm sorry, I apologize, but here's a poem. I think you'll like it. In the fourth grade, I sang The Lion Sleeps Tonight in an elementary school showcase. I get off stage, walk to the bathroom to be greeted by all my male classmates calling me a little bitch. When I was 12, I was leaving the skate park when three boys approached me, pushed me over, and tried to pry the skateboard out of my hands, hitting me and repeatedly calling me a little bitch. And I told my friends about how this girl, who turns my throat into a bendable ruler every time she asks me a question, loves me, but it's hard for me to convince a girl, conceive a girl actually loving back another guy because I've never been loved back properly. They say, Travis, you sound like a little bitch. But just then, a thought hits me. I don't give a fuck. I am a little bitch singer that has never been loved back properly, and I cannot fight. I come from a family of boxers, but I throw little bitch punches at the air like the oxygen just called me a little bitch. I am a little bitch, a little bitch. <laughs> Anyone else think it's hella whack how we attach gender role to food and drink? My favorite flavor of ice cream is little bitch sherbet. I watch The Notebook at least once a month and shed little bitch tears every time. I've got little bitch nerves in every part of my body, so don't hurt me. Unless you want to watch a little bitch bitch fit the Urban Dictionary in all its wisdom defines little bitch as someone who's whiny, petty, passive-aggressive, and won't stand up for himself when shit goes down, and yep, sounds about right. I am a little bitch poet, and they used to tell me, Travis, one day, you'll meet a beautiful girl at a poetry event. But see, I don't go, poetry, I don't go to poetry events to meet women. I go to meet myself, and I am not manly. I've never shotgunned a beer, but boy, do my homies and I get wild with Mountain Dew, and I cannot drive stick. I struggle, I struggle trying to whip my parents' little bitch minivan. I've never unhooked a bra, but I've unlocked every level on Crash Bandicoot, and I cannot grill a steak, but boy, do I make a mean-ass quiche, and I'm sorry, but I refuse to take you seriously if you ever tell anyone ever to grow a pair. Action films bore me. Sports Illustrated puts me to sleep. I can quote Mean Girls and 13 Going on 30 word for word. See, it's time to have pride in our little bitchness. Time to start a little bitch army. See, when a kid is not picked for kickball and told to get off the field, we will be there. When a kid has his books knocked out of his hands, we will be there. When a kid is made fun of for wanting to play house instead of football with the boys we will be there when a kid sings in front of the entire school and gets made fun of see we will be there we will stand behind the tomboys, the full rise, the stammering sentences, the stutterers, attention deficits, stereotype questioners, poor, and even the one directioners. Yes, nothing can stop us. We are in your yoga classes, on your football teams, at your writing circles, pumping iron in your gym. We are the little bitch army. See, we are bad kissers, great huggers, and above all strong. You see, us little bitches understand that masculinity is not defined by your arm wrestling record, and that feminine, weak, or vulnerable are not synonymous with little 
little bitchness. If you ever cried yourself to sleep, see, you'll probably get enlisted. We are out benching the shit of male socialization. Come meet Lieutenant Acceptance, Sergeant Understanding. Colonel, be yourself and private, we will love you. At the Little Bitch Army, our motto is stop teaching boys to be terrible men then telling them to man up. At the Little Bitch Army, we'll fix you up. Just let your skin absorb the stitches until you realize that maybe the world needs a few more little bitches. Alright, so I found the mixed race poem. So we're gonna we're gonna hit that one now. Uh yeah. Just about being white and Native American. So there's there's that piece of me. I don't know why I talk. I don't. <laughs> all my life I've been the unsure question. For as long as I can remember, all my friends have always seen me as not quite what are you? See, you look white, but I can tell there's something there. In the third grade, knowing I was Native American, a girl asked me to speak Navajo when I spoke gibberish for a straight minute. Ever since I was old enough to fill out a survey, I've learned there's no instruction manual for being mixed race. No frequently asked question to turn to when you feel splattered onto an easel and everyone else is holding the paintbrush and cannot pinpoint which slurs to use on a color wheel. See, if there was a frequently asked question section, it'd probably have questions like, what do you do when your roots begin to tug at your feet? When they begin wrapping around your ankles, pulling you into a ground that you don't feel at home in. What do you do when you feel lost? What do you do when you feel like half of you committed genocide on the other half? What do you do when you feel robbed? When you feel like the punchline of the joke called your identity and your melanin finds it hilarious? See, I was reading a textbook the other day. The history of the native peoples of America. What do you do when every line feels like a slap in the face? When every book you've never read begins to claw at your skin tone. When you feel like a fool for, for thinking that by surrounding yourself with fry bread, you'd be anything more than Starbucks, than Nutella. How do you connect with your identity knowing you will always be more page of the textbook you read than the culture that actually inhabits them? See, I was writing the other day about how about how angry the term redskin makes me and how Indian history has always been the itchy Thanksgiving sweater our education system does not want to wear. What do you do when you feel like you're fighting for a cause half your blood doesn't give enough of a shit about to boil over? Indigenous. Indigenous, 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 foreign. Foreign, foreign, foreign. What do you do when you somehow become both in one body? An incomplete painting of contradictions. How do you become Indian enough to satisfy yourself? How do you sleep at night when you become the, when you become, when you feel like the cause of your own family oppression? When you feel like the kind of Indian that people will beat up on the reservation? I was watching a football game. Philadelphia Eagles fan had a decapitated head of a Native American, or as I assume he calls them, Redskins. It brings me back to Pee Wee football. See, my name was Headhunter. What do you do when you feel like the kind of Indian that people will beat up on the reservation? Is it possible to appropriate your own culture? Thank you. Can I do like one more and then? All right, cool. So I think that was fun. Thank you guys. Um, I just want to let you guys know this next poem is not going to be anything like what just happened at all, because uh, it's like it's like a rap kind of thing that I had to write. So we're gonna listen to it. It's inspired from the song uh, "Quills" by the Roots. It's really fun. So okay, let's just go. 
piss in the staircase, blood on the pavement. I tend to pen gems on pages and still feel complacent. They filled me with hatred. Crab apple or battle rappers, your rhymes are like Denver Broncos defense, a fucking disaster. You don't want to step to me at pencil heat. Why you want pain, boy? In this hand, a mic to lyrically massacre your whack as verbs, and in the other, a game boy. Cause I'm oh so advanced. Fat boy in tight pants. This mic I'm ripping holds my sight and vision. My rhyme's so nice, I make you dub frat boys reevaluate life decisions. Rap monster. My flow conquer. My, my flow conquers. My album's every song your favorite band didn't play at the concert. It's obvious I've been chosen again to spit prose with the pens. My punchlines are like sunshine because they're over your head. Oh. <laughs> Wait, hold on. I can break it down in a few ways. The lines I'm spitting are like free shipping. You should get them in a few days. I'm in the schools now. You should see the amazement I leave the staff in. I make youth pens burst off in workshop, have them stand on stage, have them stand on their desk like, oh, captain, my captain. Yo, the load heavy, I walk around a little edgy, already and steady, adorable like a teddy, and white like Betty. Hold on, sorry. Hold on, sorry, it's not all of my memorized. Um, when you think about what a rapper looks like, I'm the last dude. Must suck to lo- lose to a young Jonah Hill who's dressed worse. I'd be mad too. I'm the sickest rapper, whippersnapper, gladly spit shit back at you. I will lyrically murder your favorite rapper, and Facebook pick the caption, the casket. Uh, it's pretty apparent that you cannot fuck with this. My raps are out the ballpark, but when I tried to hit puberty, I swung and missed. I'm 100 proof with a fountain of youth chaser. I could have made Shakespeare play basketball with a trash can and crumpled up paper. See, my mom thinks I'm cool, but I never really fit in. I tried to join the puberty club, but I couldn't get in. The kids must hate me for my flagrant sex appeal. They say, Travis, go write a poem about it. And by the way, reverse racism is real. Uh... Someone call the doctor. I got the sickest poems and rap. Some boss than Chaucer. I'm Walt whipping the ass. <laughs> Thank you. He gets it. I am the trend setting, bed wetting. There's no worthy competition for my compositions. Take this as a lesson. Yo, I flow so well. Rap like a vet, but I still bring my rhyme book to show and tell. Do you hear about Travis? Nah. Word on the street is if you hear him rap on beats, he'll add three feet to your vertical leap. Word? Yeah, and he's a sight setter, and if you're lucky, you can see his man boobs in a tight sweater. <laughs> I stay better, I Mayweather, punch out corny rappers and drink Capri Sun to them in the pain. May the odds be ever in your favor, I'm Katniss to these Hunger Games. I spit the sickest rhythms, give them hell or give them something. I treat every cypher like Corbin Blue, because I jump in. And I guess I can have mercy, but I take no prisoners. I'm half nerdy, half spitter of what the kids deserve. My name is Travis, and I spit the radish shit. People I share the stage with treat me like Scottish Lakes kid, because they're afraid to go after it. Lactose monster. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I set so many mics ablaze, I got arrested for arson. <laughs> Precision of a marksman sharpen, I even pour milk before my cereal. Straight from the carton. <laughs> See, maybe I'm corny, goofy goober, rappy, rapper I shouldn't be. But I'm only calling myself everything I was told that I couldn't be. See, since my heart started beating through the teething and the teasing been a reason for my breathing, Bellingham Poetry Night, thanks for having me this evening. Thank you. There's another bird shipping process. Right on the car. Right on the car. There's another bird shipping process. Yo, you have sex with Bing. Oh, we think it's shipping process.
Just a huge shift in consciousness.